You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Piper Carter podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter. Happy New Year. Happy New You. Welcome to 2020. What's up, Brittany, the token millennial? Happy New Year. Peace, Pipe. What's up? Happy New Year. And because we have a new year, we also have a new person and a new generation. <laughs> a Gen Z. A Gen, a whole Gen Z. So this is wonderful. We'll be like 96. a trinity now, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let's just get right into it. Tell us who you are. Hello, my name is Deja. I am new here. I am excited to be here. I love music. I love hip hop. Um, I guess that's primarily what I'm here to do and chime in on um, certain occasions. So I'm just very thankful to be here. Piper and Brittany, thank you so much for having me. We're happy to have you. <laughs> I'm so excited. I know, right? We'll, we'll have a nickname for you after a while, but you got to do something funny. <laughs> All right. That. For, for us. But um, so we got Deja is um, really brilliant. We, you know, had some really insightful conversations and just really excited about what you bring. So but before we get into into the show, um, just really quickly, just wanted to acknowledge that today is actually Martin Luther King's birthday. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s actual birthday. Um, and coming up on Monday, which is the third Monday, is the official, uh, you know, holiday for the country in which everyone will be um, commemorating. There's going to be a huge march and lots of marches and rallies and things like that. There's a historic march that will be taking place. Um, the one that normally takes place, you know, downtown, which we should probably go to. It's going to be historic and memorable but um that's that's um monday it's monday okay um it's pretty much an all-day thing and then like the charles h white museum is going to have their annual uh mlk day which lots of people will go to and celebrate i think it starts all the all these things start at like early in the morning with like breakfast and then nice goes throughout the whole day with different organizations speaking and different activities and it's all like intergenerational and then there's like a a rally and a march so that should be it should be interesting cool but um just want to i had pulled up this so i have a thing now because normally we do like the moment of silence right yeah but that kind of seems in, maybe it works does it work for like podcasts because i pulled up like this water to like pour a little bit of libations let's do that and pour some libations so let's pour some libations for our beloved um reverend dr martin luther king jr Ashe. 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 Yeah. That was good, Pipe. That was cool. A little sound effects, Joe Button. Yes. Yeah. A little sound effects. <laughs> we do any sound effects by hand. So, but shouts out, you know what I mean? Um, I'm going to just tell y'all a quick Martin Luther King story. Please. So, I work with youth and um, about, I want to say, maybe like around 2011. I was working with um, some of our youth, like a particular group 
of youth that um you when I say our youth, I'm 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 always talking about like the five E youth when I had five E gallery. And um just to briefly explain, it was a intergenerational, multidisciplinary arts and community space. And one of the things um that we did was have youth programming. And so at this particular time around 2011 was when I formally started working with um, youth. And what I mean by that is when I started training, like I had gone to Chicago Freedom School and that's when I learned about, you know, just uh, how to do programs and how to, um, you know, write curriculum and how to, uh, you know, facilitate and how to teach leadership, like all these, you know, things that now I do all the time. But it was it was kind of new to me. Like I was in the beginning stages of like learning how you do it formally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it and that was when we were transitioning from being a space where kids just came to hang out, where it was like a safe space where people would just come and hang out. And we just did art together, and we were just trying to bumble to where I was actively like learning. Right. And so as we were um, learning together, I as I started developing some of the curriculum around, I want to say like around the end of the summer, so let's say like around end of August, beginning September, when they were going into school, I was like, how do y'all feel about doing an MLK um, event? Now, we were a non-traditional space. Um, in today's terms, we would say we were, we were on the left, <laughs> progressive, and so we hadn't done too much what I would consider formalized programming. It was more like, come through, let's do art, let's kick it, and let's, you know, try to figure stuff out. At this point, I was like, yeah, like, what do y'all think about, you know, start, you know, you think ahead. What about, you know, when January comes, we got a few months, Um, we do some sort of, like, you know, MLK um, programming. And the youth were like, oh, my God, I don't even want to say what they said. But... Um, now, mind you, when I'm saying youth, I'm saying these young people are between the age of like 14 and 16, something okay. like that. And they were like, we don't, what is, some, something to the effect of like, I don't even want to say what they said because I don't even want to like desecrate his memory. But let's just say that they had less than colorful words for Martin Luther King. Gotcha. And they, they call him some derogatory names that mean that he didn't have courage that mean that mean that he um was a sellout that means Did they elaborate? yeah like they you know because when they when they called him these names um one of them was the b word and i was like wow because like for me right i'm gen x mm-hmm. so um i came and you know i'm born 72 so I'm during the height of black power, right, era. So for for us, yeah, we looked at it more like, yeah, Martin Luther King dealt with nonviolence, and we were more into, like, the Malcolm X and Black Panthers. But at the same time, we definitely were not, like, disrespectful of right. King. You know what I'm saying? Right. It was more like that's not the tactic Our that ML. we would choose. Right. We would We would like to be more confrontational, but... I would say there definitely was respect, you know, for for that because all of that was strategy 
that led to policy change, mm-hmm. right? Which was important. But um, listening to the youth and just how disrespectful they were and calling him all these derogatory names, like, you know, and just understanding, you know, just having the conversation with them, in conversation with them and through asking them questions. That's Thank you for saying that because I do appreciate, I, my body was feeling like WTF, <laughs> but I definitely didn't speak to them in that way. Right. Like they could tell out that that triggered me. Right. Because they was like, Mama Piper, Mama Piper, let me, let me tell you what it is. I was like, just, you know, because I must have had a look on my face, right? <laughs> mortified. You must have been mortified. I was mortified. Yeah. Because to me, like I said, we were more like, that's not what we would choose, but we would never Say desecrate that. him in his death like that. You know what I'm saying? And so for them to say that, like, first of all, my, my initial emotions was triggered because I was like, this man died for us. And, well, let me not say that because I'm practicing not saying that he died for us. He was murdered because he was fighting for us. That's what I'm going to say. He was murdered because he was fighting for us. And for him to, for his life, to for that sacrifice, and I'm not saying that it was, I mean, he he was intentionally sacrificing, right? Because yeah. you understood. To me, I'm thinking like, wow, that level of sacrifice, I'm sure huge level that, that at that time, the thought process was, I'm a, I'm a do this so that things could change for future generations. Mm-hmm. Right. Quick, quick pivot. I was listening to an interview with Icewear Vezo and Icewear Vezo said something to the effect that like when he was in prison, he had all these different businesses and the interviewer asked him, <clears throat> what made you, you know, how were you able to have all these businesses while you were in prison? And he was like, Oh, because I had had my first child at the time and I wanted to make sure that they could have something that they could have forever. Now think about that. Like Martin Luther King, you think that he was just doing that, like got a grant and got paid. Maybe so, but the policy changes that happen based on all the work, not just him, but I'm just saying civil rights movement, all that structure, all that, and that we're like three generations, four generations in where young people who, and I don't want to say are benefiting, right? Because their schools are so jacked up that the education system that they're in isn't even teaching them the, the, the history of King, right? To the point where their diluted sense of Dr. King has been reduced mm. to um, Washington, you know, like uh, George Washington. You know what I'm saying? It's or or Thomas of. Jefferson. Or it's like when we when we had a whole conversation at that moment, it crystallized for me. Oh, I see what my role could be. We could use this. I had already knew we can use this hip hop. You know what I'm saying? But that's when it really crystallized for me. Like we got to create curriculum out of this hip hop that we're doing here because if we don't take control of teaching our young people, no one's going to teach our young people. Now, that's something I already knew because I grew up African-centered school and African-centered and I was in this community and I was doing something that was, you know, different. 
but that's when it really became like super real for me when I was like, that's, we have to, like, we have to teach because the fact that these young people are coming to me and saying something this crazy means they don't even know who he is. Now, the, what we did was we actually developed like a bootleg curriculum based off this. Like, I literally was like trying to figure out what would be interesting because definitely I had asked them, well, what did y'all know about King? And they knew virtually nothing. As a matter of fact, um, they told me he freed the slaves. What? Yeah. When I asked them, I said, and you know, yes, you know, you, you know, you're just trying to assess like how much, cause, cause me personally, I try, I do the best I can not to make assumptions about people. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, let me put it this way. I have assumptions. Like, let me not act like I'm just so not human. Like I don't <laughs> right. assume anything about anyone ever, <laughs> but I'm saying like my practices are such I got you. that I work to not impose my assumptions on people. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you don't. But especially when I'm working with young people, I do what I can to just try to ask, right? Just keep yeah. asking, why, why, why? And so they told me, yeah, he free. I'm like, so what do you know? No, I, I'm 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 be honest with you. I assume they knew nothing based on what they told me, right? And but when they told me he freed the slaves, part of me was like, that's kind of sort of true. <laughs> but <laughs> uh. <laughs> if we talk about mental slavery, but. Right, okay. Um, and and it's kind of sort of true if we're talking about policy change. Mm. But um, I knew, but I but I already knew that's not what they was talking the context, about. Yeah. So they was talking about a different time period altogether. Mm. And so that's when I was like, wow. So oh time, God. right, for them is like, because the '60s and like 1865, like 1965 and 1865 is 100 years, right? Mm. So. Just, just, you know what I'm saying? Like, just trying to have those type of things in perspective when I'm trying to, like, you know, listen. And um, I was like, yeah, you know, like, that happened by, like, on paper, it happened about 100 years before. But technically, you're right. You know, we had lived through Reconstruction, Jim Crow, and arguably with convict leasing, we could say, right, that we still in the prison planet. But um, so we just started having, like, more deeper you know, trying to have more deeper conversations. And the youth was like, Mama Piper, you be teaching us about thinking free and thinking for ourselves. And if we don't want to do MLK, we ain't doing no MLK because we say we don't want Because, you know, we had been having different conversations with them about agency mm-hmm. and free thinking. about. And I was like, no, nah, you know what? This one of the things Mama Piper is going to, like, oppress you with. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to be oppressed. This is necessary. You've got to learn about MLK. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, even if you learn about MLK and, and you learn his whole history and you decide to disagree, like, that's that's great. But you're not about to be here with me and you don't even know nothing. Right. When was this and how old were they? Like the, Yeah, so 20, around, let's say around 2011. 2011 and they were like it was a group of about um i want to say like five five about five youth that were with us but in general the group that were usually in and out was but about in this 10. discussion that you had on this let's day. say 14 to 16 oh, oh from how many were there was maybe about five that day and then the, what were their the, age groups about 14 to 16 wow mm-hmm and um, I told them, I said, this is what we're going to do. They were so upset with me. Of course. They was like, no, no, no. But um, I, I did my best to not make it laborious mm-hmm. because 
also too there's some reading um you know uh challenges that were there and things you know yeah. you know they public school kids so they had those types of challenges so i did things like um i had got that it was the newest documentary it's escaping me right now um it unfortunately i had to show them that documentary that has all of that cia footage it's the cia has um, it's a documentary they use a lot of cia footage with a lot of super eight footage and they had him like smoking cigarettes and they had him, um, you know, with uh, the first time that he got shot at the first, um, uh, you know, th that first time. And then when his bodyguards like went to go protect him and then they pulled their guns out and then it was all like chaotic. And unfortunately, I had to kind of use those things to kind of make him more relatable in a sense because they was looking at him like in a certain light that had been just like a like he was neutralized you know what i'm saying yeah. and so you know it was funny cuz they was like mama piper mlk was a real you know and i was like yeah <laughs> i mean uh, let me see you mobilize hundreds of thousands of people across the country mm -hmm. uh with no internet no facebook no twitter no cell phone and be protected and have something called the green book know where to stay mm. what hotels have secret codes be able to stay over each other's houses have protection like let me see you organize something like that and it's not so much that he and i think the main thing i wanted to get across was it wasn't that he was held up as a god and that's where they were pushing back mm. and it was like it's not that we want you to hold him up as a god but we want you to honor his life yeah and I mean, we had many because I think that next year Trayvon happened. And I was in, I was in, um, I was volunteering at a high school and in 11th grade, the young people had the same sentiment and they was like, F that in. And I was like, wow. I was like, this young man was murdered you know and they was like so what y'all act like that's something they like we get murdered every day every day don't nobody care i'm like yeah but it just i already knew the disconnect that there was like an apathy but i think something that i really work when i work with young people is um i a lot of young people in our communities, the ones that I've come in contact with, the ones I work with, mm -hmm. is, like you're saying, a disconnect out of survival. Because they see so much death, and they and they experience so much trauma, and they don't have access to um, any sort of support or counseling or mental health or people that they can process with in a way that many of the people that are in their lives have them pushing through to get to the other side. And so death becomes normal to them. And then death is all around, right? It's in all their media, all their music, all their movies, all their okay. video games. So it's all around them. So it's so normalized their comic books to the point where it, it doesn't like death doesn't actually mean anything. And then they experience so much death in their communities and, 
and then what they're going through to the point where it's like if if they do stop to check in with that humanity like that strips them of their protection in, in a sense to like get through life this is just a certain particular group of youth that i usually end up working with um many times and many of them have you know either come in contact with one one or many of these systems may or may not have um mostly i'm gonna say all none of them have their actual parents that they live with most of them don't have the actual parents they live with like if they live with a parent it's like an adopted or cousin sister brother you know what i'm saying like it's not their actual parents and i think um many of the ways in which they come in contact with adults that work with youth um and what i'm saying is like in your in your typical like school environment on average the teacher and the principal is going to say like you know people make assumptions that everyone's in this like home with their parents you know what I'm saying? And so there's these expectations that people act in ways in which are considered like normalized ways of being mm-hmm. that you see in movies and TV. And then, you know, when you go into these settings like schools and all these other places, um, what I see is people performing like people perform as self. And so if they're a teacher, they're performing as a teacher or if they're a principal, they're performing as a principal. So it's like this kind of thing, like, okay, everybody's supposed to respect Martin Luther King. So I could totally understand where the apathy would come from because it's like, if I'm 14, 15, 16, then I definitely want to be anti-establishment. You see what I'm saying? So that would have me be like, yeah, like I, I don't care about Martin Luther King. Right. Like, Especially if it wasn't driven home at home. Yeah. And if you didn't have the real truth. Yeah. If all you have is a poster and a day off and nobody explains anything to you, you don't have any connection to the point where you're 16 years old and somebody asks you, what do you know about MLK? And you say, I don't know. He freed the slaves or something. And you think about it. I'm. I'm more than, I wasn't there, but I'm more than 99% sure that when MLK died, you know, the thought was that things would change forever, right? Like for future generations. And what that teaches us is there is no forever. Mm. Um, This work continues. It's not safe out there to speak up or to fight for black people. Like, it's still not safe to fight for black people. Um, With all the policy changes, many of those policies are being reversed. And as many of the advances that we've had in policy and society that I do appreciate, we've seen in the last 20 years and definitely in the last 10 and definitely in the last three, a rollback and a reversal of all of these, you know, political and policy advances. So that's why we stay in the streets. That's why we keep fighting. That's why we keep keep going. So just wanted to give honor 
and reflection to MLK um, on today because it was his, it is his birthday, his actual birthday. And I remember being a kid fighting with my family and others to make sure there was a King holiday mm. in the eighties and then finally getting the King holiday. So it does have a certain sting to it mm. when you see a generation be like, they don't care, but it also shows that it's more work that we got to do to make sure that people do care. Cause just like this generation, y'all love Nipsey and I'm a, I'm saying y'all like I'm not one of y'all, but I'm not your, you guys generation. You know what I'm saying? So Nipsey is, 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 you know, Ashe. Ashe for sure. Ashe, Nipsey. But I'm saying generationally, you know what I'm saying? Imagine what his legacy is going to be, right? Right, right. Because now you say, oh, it's going to be known forever. But you, you gotta, you gotta make sure that there's that, that connection. Like, like you talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Like what's that, what's that connection? Like, how do you keep it going? So I think I'm gonna just put like a period there. Thank you, Martin Luther King. Thank you. We appreciate you. 100%. So thanks for that, y'all. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so with that, okay, first let's give Brittany like a whole bu- bunch of love and shout out um, for doing this work. We're so proud of you. Brittany made this whole wonderful like show layout to get us organized. We've never had this before. Oh, really? No. It's, doesn't it look amazing? Yes. I'm so proud of you. It looks so <laughs> official. I was going to cry. Thanks. It's awesome. I mean, I went off I went off the script though cuz um I talked about MLK and it it's wasn't okay. in here but I should have put it in there. Well, it's all good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so so we have a script now and a running show. Like we're organized now. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. Right? All right. So take us through, Britt. You want me to take us through? Yeah, what's next? All right. Well, I see I was supposed to talk about um don't abbreviate. Yes. Uh, so you sent twenty <laughs> twenty. Did you, Dej? Did you get the article that she sent about? Uh, I didn't read it. Oh. Well, not abbreviating. I wanted to hear from your perspective because you sent it and you were like, "Yeah, don't do that shit." Well, long story short, I'll just keep it brief. It was an article, and it basically said, when it's since we're starting this new decade, mm-hmm. when you do official documents, to always write out twenty twenty. Don't shorten twenty. Because people can go behind you uh, now and put, like, I mean, later, mm-hmm. like, you know, you make twenty fifteen twenty set got you. Like, whatever. they can. Mm-hmm. They could go behind you and put whatever year. So, um, it was saying in, in, in official documents, just always write out 2020, like, don't shorten that. That's it. That's like just a that. long issue. I like that, though. Yeah. Yeah, for your official. That's for your official Someone documents. Someone told me um, that earlier. She was signing a paper, and she wanted to date it. I told her she didn't have to. She had already began to. And mm. she was like, oh, she stopped at 20. And then she's like, no, I'm going to write it out. You're supposed to write it out now. And I was, I thought that was interesting. So thank you. Yeah. It just was a full circle mm-hmm. moment. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Importante. Little yes. importante. Where'd you just get back from? Uh, went to Miami. I told y'all I'm gonna be going back and forth to Miami, and I'm gonna make sure y'all come with me in 2021. Um, we're I'm a part of the Rising Majority, which is basically um a group. Which we're still trying to figure out are we a network or coalition, but in general, we're a group of folks, all uh people of color, and everyone that's not like 
a heterosexual white man. <laughs> so, um, and we come together and we do political education. We are organizing for something that's going to be called a mega convergence, mm. which is going to happen in Miami in 2021. And it's basically a gathering that's going to take place for throughout about a week. And it's to develop our agenda for what we're going to do moving forward after the election, mm-hmm. regardless of who's elected. Right. We have to still have a plan and how to move forward. And long story short, there is um, an alignment process, our values, you know, ways for vetting people to be a part of the group to see, you know, are the values aligned? Because the main thing is not to just get like, you know, tens of thousands of people together is to get tens of thousands of people together that are aligned. Yeah. You know, and so it's going to take us the rest of this year to get folks on the same page. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see me going back and forth to Miami doing that. Doing prep work, would you say? Prep work. Also building relationships with people in Miami because what we don't want to do is descend upon Miami and then be like, we out here, we here to help (laughs) y'all. You know, we want to work with people Mm -hmm. that are in Miami. So Miami is a swing state. Meaning that it could go. Meaning that it's normally a Republican state. It's been a Republican stronghold. They're banking on it being a Republican stronghold. At the same time, when you look at the voter pool, usually they're only counting like white middle class people or like elders, like the certain demographic. But Miami has one of the growing, what we would call new majority. Mm-hmm. Immigrants, folks of color, you know, LGBTQIA plus, um, you know, folks with disabilities and folks that have been there historically, right? Like, Haitian communities and various Latinx communities, you know, brown communities, indigenous communities, right? Black communities. And so Florida has the same kind of issues as Michigan. So Michigan historically is a Republican state. And Detroit is normally the Democratic stronghold, right? Mm -hmm. But largely across both states, they're normally Republican. Um, I'm gonna say conservative because even the Democrats are more, you know, that that are here are more on the conservative. Right. And so Michigan's a swing state, and it's a swing state in what's called the Rust Belt, and Florida Florida is a swing state in what's called the Sun Belt, for obvious reasons. So, long story short, um, what we want to do is make sure that when we're going to Miami, we're supporting local groups that are on the ground with their initiatives with voter registration, voter education, and mobilization to get more people to the polls. We'll be doing more of that stuff here um, in Michigan as well because, like I said, normally when people are talking about the swing state and the swing voter, they're mostly looking at like either like a conservative Democrat white person that could, you know what I'm saying, vote for your Republican candidate. Um, But what we're going to choose to do is look at all of these people who are either, who have either not been able to vote because of voter suppression, have not been interested in voting 
because there's no real candidate and and no issues that speak to them mm-hmm. um who were formerly incarcerated and had their vote taken away and maybe are just getting back back into the society and not know that they're able to vote like but long story short um how do we how do we get more folks to the polls and not just how do we get folks to the polls cuz we don't just want people blindly going to the polls to just vote for like democratic candidates we want people educated and informed and a part of people being educated and informed is them being educated and informed about local policies local issues local candidates um and things that matter to them so that they can make informed decisions ideally so they could put forth their um their own candidates that they create right Mm. and so that's really what we want to do moving forward is get because obviously the powers that be are not really thinking about us you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. i mean on a top tier level we're seeing that with the presidential race um especially with all the candidates that have dropped out but um i think you know just going across the board when we look at the elections that are up now there's um for 2020 is going to be senators and then for like the congressional senate seats um the local like the state senate seats are up there are some um state supreme court um seats that are up the michigan appellate court seats are up wayne county prosecutor seat the mayor and um some more local judges and then also to just a couple of different offices and so i think policy wise if we can get people looking at who is you know we're talking about prison reform criminal justice reform bail reform um child support reform um i'm gonna look for some of the research so we could do a whole show on this but um i found i've been privy to be able to find out that um the republicans have been um around the country spending large amounts of money to make sure that black voters don't vote for at least about a decade like gerrymandering or just um just like propaganda okay and so um things in barbershops um paint like the 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 obvious stuff is like your candace owens and your Kanye Mm -hmm. that's the more like oh like I can tell that but there's other stuff like they've been training people in the hood to um become candidates run for office they've been um training people on different policies you know like I said uh prison reform bail reform child support reform and they've been actively putting campaigns in the hood so that they've been targeting black men specifically to not vote and what's interesting about I that, that. I is know. I personally have noticed that because we talk about this all the time, don't we, Brittany? Mm. So for me to like go to this meeting and then meet this political specialist that gave us this data and this information to tell us that they've been in black communities for the past decade paying black people to not vote. Well, it's not like they give them money. Like, here's $20, don't vote. But paying for propaganda to be in these spaces where black men are, barbershops and these other places. I'm and just, just going to set the visual. Like, I digress in my uh, analogy, but on He Got Game, when a dude will pull up 
with the nice beamer mm-hmm. in the hood mm-hmm. with all the Nike shoes and stuff in the back. Mm-hmm. So if they was buying basketball players, like, you don't think politicians are buying people in the community? Like, I mean, just on some, me and Brittany been having this conversation for like a year, maybe a year and a half, right? Yeah. And personally, I've noticed over the last six, eight, six, seven years, I'm going to say 90% or plus of the black men I know between the ages of like 40 and 55 told me they're not voting. And I'm talking about like men with college degrees, men with families, men with kids, men with wives, men with careers, men with jobs, men in so-called white-collar business, um, dudes that are in the movement, like, business cats like all types of black men and when they and when i ask them why not they all tell me the same thing (laughs) and they all say that these people don't care about us it don't matter what happened those people gonna do what they're gonna do um and as a matter of fact in this last election many men were actually saying that they was gonna vote for trump Black men, I'm talking about, was saying they were going to vote for Trump. And some they was either saying they wasn't going to vote or they was going to vote for Trump. And when you ask them why were they going to vote for Trump, they was basically saying, like, that's what people deserve and that's what they need to wake them up. What? Well, I mean, all right, there's a lot of, like... I'm just saying, like, these are people... These, this isn't, like, stuff I saw on Twitter. No, I this mean... It's, like, real people I'm I, talking to, listening to. I can tell you, I've said that. <laughs> I've said after the fact so of the you election... you to get effed over, too. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. No. But after the election, I mean, there's a truth to that statement. Like, I'm not saying that's what we needed, but, I mean, this is the most socially responsible I've seen black people collectively from a celebrityism down to the hood in a long time. Mm. So, like, that, there's a truth in that. But... Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, that should be a strategy up front. And then as far as, like, the segments of black men who think that it should be a collective strategy not to vote, shout out to you, because that is you putting something on the table as a solution. But to say you're not going to vote and you haven't educated yourself on who, you know, who are the politicians, what do they stand for? You're just making that statement based on, you know, an idea Shame on you. So, like, I want to separate it, like, a tiny bit because there's truth in – there. I'm not going to say it is the truth, but there's truth in that being one of the strategies that black people should maybe look at. I, I, we've talked about that as well. I mean, this is what people are talking about. Um, True. This is what people are talking about. It's just that we're watching our the current establishment roll back policies. That's true. And so that's the danger. So much of the work that our ancestors that we just talked about from MLK in the civil rights era, like we're literally watching a lot of these policies get stripped. And so I'm thinking like, okay, uh, what was going to happen between now and 2024 <laughs> when it's time for the next election? But at the same time, I'm, I don't want to feel, I don't want to move in a world through fear, mm-hmm. right? So definitely get that. Definitely don't want to vote out of fear. 
um, definitely don't want to move, move and make decisions through fear. So, um, but also want to be informed, right? And you know, when the more informed you are, the more scary it gets, like the more real stuff gets, like, you know what I'm saying? Like for me, I don't know how y'all felt, but I think I had a cool new year's and what was it like a day or two later we was at war. Yeah. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Ridiculous. (laughs) Seriously. Okay. So how was that for you? I was like, oh my God. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Then to be on Twitter, like just talking crazy. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. Is this, it was just crazy. I can't. So when you, when you, what were your thoughts about what you were seeing? At first, I was hurt. Um, well, for one, because I have a coworker that is, I can't remember, honestly, if he, I believe he was in the military. So, and, like, I work with him on the weekends, but the weekend before that happened, he was telling me that his friend sent him a text, like, are you ready for World War Three? And he didn't get it at the time. So at that point, I think he Googled it. And I forgot what Trump had did the prior week. Um, but it was something I think he did. I don't remember what he did. But honestly, I'm so sorry. But anyway, when this happened, it just felt like, oh, my God, this is this is really. Was it the embassy when they stormed the embassy? I believe so. And they made everybody leave? Yeah, I think that was it. And then I was just like, oh, no, this is going to get bad. And then the following week is when he basically killed their vice president. And then... He then, was their military advisor. Military advisor. But he was... I From the research that I did on Twitter, mm-hmm. from, like, people um, commenting on... Like, I was looking through, like, Muslim um, Twitter, I guess you could yeah. say, like, how there's black Twitter. I was, like, just yeah. thinking through, like, Muslim Twitter mm-hmm. and just seeing what they had to say about it. And some people... Well, there were a lot of people that were upset like from a, an emotional hurt standpoint. And then there were people mm. that were angry at America, of course. Mm. And the people that were hurt were just saying that, or just, you know, speaking to how highly this man was respected. Mm. So that just put more fear in me. Like, oh no, we killed, you know, like someone that wasn't a deity, but somebody that meant a lot to them. So well, I was also just, too, he, um, well, according to what I read in the reports, mm-hmm. Um, he was the one that was to just simplify keeping Al Qaeda and ISIS and Hezbollah, like, you know, making them not as, uh, destructive as of a force, mm-hmm. um, kind of keeping them on a tight at leash. Bay. Yeah, yeah. At bay. Okay. That That's what I read. Man. Okay. Can I tell y'all something? What? It's so weird talking to like different type of people <laughs> and about this and how it's like, where are y'all reading this? So like, you know, how you said about the kids, like, what? dang, based on what the, what they saying, it lets oh, yeah. you like, it makes you be like, dang, like you really don't like, no, like, mm-hmm. or it makes you wonder like what they do know. Like, yeah. so it's just like when people talk, it just makes me real interested in like, where are they finding this information on both sides? Like, mm. I like to, on situations like this, like, kind of stay in the middle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Not because, like, I'm, I don't have to explain myself, but I stayed in the middle on it, and I'm just like, dude, like, you talk to people who aren't necessarily Republicans, but are, like... Conservative? Oh, well, they love, they love the history of war. 
wars of art and foreign policies in America, Mm -hmm. but they hate Donald Trump. So Mm -hmm. they are saying things like, oh, this guy was, you know, they... Uh, the media made him look one way for propaganda for the election, but he truly was a guy that was like invested inside of these militant groups in Iraq. So he, Wait, who, who the general. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. So the reason why he was in Iraq was probably because he was meeting up with one of these groups that he's invested in. Then you talk to people like from the perspective of Deja and they're like, he was the worst guy ever. Like he was horrible. Like, um, I mean, he was the best guy ever. Like the people loved him. Like, I mean, you saw all of that online, though, right? Like you saw all the range, right? Yes, yeah, yeah totally. Real. Like totally. the range is yeah. wild. Like but on stuff just, like this. But, but, even, but even from the Muslim community, yeah. I saw people that were happy, and I saw people that were upset. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, yeah. I saw the full range. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why you know we have to diversify our news diet. <laughs> you can't just watch yeah. like one mm-hmm. um outlet and even and you know yeah you can't even really trust yeah you can't you honestly simply but you can't just trust one you gotta gotta diversify yeah. it and just listen to me on this issue i was i'm gonna say for about two weeks even now i'm still educating myself on all of it same because there are still things developing every day mm-hmm. every day and it's so scary right mm-hmm. And when I get my little ping, do y'all do y'all get the ping? Do y'all have iPhone? Yeah, but I I turned that off. You turned it off. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I got my little. It. I get my news ping in the morning. Your morning briefing. It'd be scaring a bit. I'd be like, no. It'd be, but you know, I I strive not to be scared. But it's scary. Like it works. It's propaganda. They put it, that news out there, is, so you keep is. reading it. The and then it's by Apple too, so you already know. You already know. It's programming. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's already on pain. No, but it's it is interesting though, like our position over there in the middle in the Middle East and just how things work. And it'll be interesting to see as like especially with twenty twenty and like the first three what was it, the first three or four days of the new year that happened? It was like yeah, what was it? Like two days, two days, three days? Something like that. It was like January second or third. I was like, Why? The I mean year just started. And then some of the feedback was like WWE feedback. Like some Republicans and war hungry people are just like so excited. Yeah, and we also can't leave out the memes. The memes. <sighs> okay, what <laughs> memes? Yeah, give me some memes. What memes did y'all see? Oh, oh the God. World War Three memes? Yeah. Oh man. There were what so were the... many. I can't even describe them, but they were just so many like gifts and just pictures of people being excited or people being scared. A lot of people still thinking that, well, I hope not seriously thinking that they're going to knock on your door and tell you, like, okay, it's time to go to war. Like, they're not oh, going to snatch drop. you. Yeah, you're I'm not going to get drafted honest with like you, that anymore. I wouldn't rule it out. No, definitely <laughs> but, not. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. But um, I think in general, I, I sent y'all something today, and it was like a, um, a video, and it said um, poverty is the new draft. Did y'all get to see that? I had sent it late. I did see it, but I didn't get a chance to like really look. Let's open it up. But long story short, it's pretty much a report, you know, just talking about how, and, you know, this is a conversation we always have. In general, I'm going to bet that the average person does not join the military because they're a patriot. No, never. I I would (laughs) would bet that too. (laughs) Man. I feel like the average person... Is like, 
shoot, I didn't do well on my SATs. <laughs> yeah, they used to come to my high school and like constantly tell us about the benefits of it. Like, or forget that narrative too. Like right. not forget that narrative mm-hmm. like that slangly speaking. But like people whose parents were in the military, so it's just a it could be a generational thing. Yeah, like yeah. you know what I'm saying. Like I like agree. working at the plant. Yeah. 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 Until your son becomes a flag that gets sent to you, or a medal, and then you'd be like, hmm, right? Because that's, I you know you know what's interesting. Um, back in the nineties, back in my day. <laughs> But um, I had a roommate, and I had this one apartment. And one of my apartments I had, it was a huge loft, and I had these different roommates. It was a whole other time and very interesting experience. But um, one of my roommates was Israeli. She was actually Yemeni. She was, she was Yemeni, but she was Jewish. And another roommate I had was... Uh, Egyptian, but she grew up in London, and her father was the was he the he was the Egyptian ambassador to London, and um so she grew up in Brighton. She was very you know uh, from another class, <laughs> and so she was staying with us because she wanted to know what it, what what it was like to be a you know a real person. Mm-hmm. But um my other roommate that uh the 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 Yemeni roommate which was interesting cuz I'd always thought of Yemen as a muslim country but it has two sides but she was from the jewish part oh wow i didn't know that i didn't either till I, till I lived with her and israel has a rule the entire country has to be in the military from age 18 men and women and so she had been in military she must have been about uh, like I think I was probably like 23, 24, so she was probably my age. She wasn't a, she wasn't too much more than 25, 26, you know, around there. And um my other it was interesting because when she had been in the military, then she came to the United States. And in the United States, she was just chilling. She was like working at a coffee shop and just working at a bar and just hanging out, party disco. Um, and not what I would think of as like, you know, just, just a party chick. And my other roommate who had grown up Muslim was also party chick, you know, and all of us were like in our twenties and we was partying all the time, going to clubs all the time, hanging out, you know, and, um, we would have philosophical conversations in our living room about you know just ideological differences mm-hmm. and people thought we were all sisters because we all have the same kind of look right you know and we would go places and uh people always thought that we were all like related or whatever which was interesting because sometimes we'd all like super get along and sometimes you just have like those roommate fights and stuff and those two like I remember I used to break up a lot of fights like sometimes they'd be making coffee and making breakfast together and they'd be chilling and we'd be going out and hanging out together and then sometimes they'd be in full-on fist fights in the living oh my room God. and they'd be calling each other all types of slurs 
Um, but it, you know, it was interesting. I got a chance to learn about, at least about them. I'm not going to say about their cultures per se, because all three of us, I would say, were not what people would say is like, quote unquote, like typical about our, our culture. Right. We were all kind of like, you know, just young people in America, if you will. Right. But, um. I did get a chance to learn about their culture in terms of like the traditions of their cultures in terms of like asking them questions and them being the ages that they were. And also too, it's interesting to note that both of them were Westernized as I would say, right? Cause even though they were, even though they had their own culture, they somehow it's hard to, it's hard for me to pinpoint to tell you that like, their culture was their first culture or their second culture you get what i'm saying because like i think they, like they might have grown up lo- learning both it's like they grew up being both mm-hmm. and so they were so westernized that it's almost as if their culture was their secondary culture per se it was still there though like definitely don't want to take that away like wasn't it it's or, like those yeah. people who speak english fluently but speak their native like their parents yeah. native language at home yeah and they, they know it mm, and they can speak yeah. they can carry conversation mm-hmm, on yep. but they if they were to go back to that home country and have a full dialect it might yeah. be a little difficult like yeah. That. yeah well i would say though with both of them they definitely speak you know their oh native yeah coming language. from there yeah they definitely yeah. speak their native language they definitely um i would say know how to slip into their expected female roles mm. that were expected of them in their cultures. Um, you know, when it was, I don't even want to use the word appropriate, but at the time, you know, kind of like how we shape shift, you know, like when you're when at work, second nature. <laughs> yeah. you got the work you, and then you got the, the one at home, right. you know, pookie, Coach. pookie at home. And then, you know, there's sophistication code at work, switch. but they, but they, they had that code switching, um, thing going on and um yeah so but i'm saying that to say that i was able to learn a lot more than more than i knew i'm not gonna say a lot i I was able to learn some like from both of them Mm. and so there's some things that you know uh that gave me a little bit more insight um and something in general that we always talk about like moving forward uh something that's kind of challenging is this idea of militarism and the increase of um police presence you know like in our communities and the increased budgets that all these police departments have been receiving zionism and the connection between Israel and our urban police departments, like the fact that Israel um, has a military training force uh, called Mossad, and Mossad has been training, it's a secret police, and they've been training our police departments and, and urban police departments across the country in military warfare. Um, the fact that like our police par- department has purchased tanks 
and pulled the tanks out. Yeah, we've seen that. You've seen them, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they pulled the tanks out to, like, parade them or show them off or something. Um, and just the fact that our police department has, what, that they received, like, a $30 million increase in their budget um, that they used on, like, weapons and those tanks and things. Um, like I said, the fact that they, that these forces are being trained in military um, tactics and strategies and I would say it's important to understand about Zionism because Zionism is not Judaism and Zionism is a right wing philosophy that's a white supremacist you know uh, philosophy um, that you know people get accused of being anti-Semitic when they speak against Zionism, but actually Zionism is anti-Semitic. So I think, you know, the more people get on board with understanding, you know, Israel's role in Palestine and how they have pretty much decimated these brown and black people who, you know, and, and, and took their land and have them, you know, living in a genocidal society where you know they could be snatched up and just demoralized dehumanized and you know no one cares and I think it's important to understand like that connection and and look at what's happening with 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 black people in in our country with police and and poor people and the way people are treated so I think moving forward for 2020 like when people say they don't want to get involved in politics or they don't want to pay attention to politics or they don't care about politics. The hard part is that politics is happening to them. True. With or without their participation. So facts. And it's very scary, right? Like that's an interesting thinking about all that is scary. Who wants to think about that? It's like, (laughs) it's literally being on the battlefield and just seeing people do nothing while they could be saving, saving everybody. Pretty much. But it is, it's also mobilizing, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, if I go back to the MLK example of the young people, right? Now, your average adult gets mad at young people because they be like, y'all don't read, right? Like, on average, I hear adults. Like, I know how, I know how adults talk. I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. And on average, adults are like, and it's not even adults. Let me not make this like an adult versus kid thing. On average, on Twitter, what do people say? People don't read. People don't read. But that's such an elitist thing to say because the fact of the matter is that in our schools, and I'm saying black, urban, poor people's schools, they're not teaching kids how to read. And so re- if you look at, you know, the literacy rate is atrocious. You know, they're more concerned with these test scores because they have all these standardized tests because they get money for each kid that goes to the school that uh, takes these tests. But how can you pass the test and comprehend the test if you can't read? Because they're just passing people through because they just got to get that check because all kids are to them is a check. There's $7,000 per kid that schools get. That's public school, charter school. That's yeah, a part of Title I. That's why count day matters so much. Mm-hmm. That's why count day matters because that's how they get their check. Mm-hmm. So 
if I need you, (laughs) yeah, they give kids candy cake. (laughs) Oh, man, day, they used to be begging you they to come to school. They used to be like, bring 100 pennies to school, you'll get such and such. Like, <laughs> count, I think Count Day was on like the 100th day of school at one point. Oh, like, in Ann Arbor. Like, like, yeah, like it used to be like something. And they used to have these crazy incentives for us to try to make sure that we'd come. Man, they be like, I remember buying the incentives. food, uh, shopping cards, stuff. stuff for your mama, <laughs> like all type of stuff. But no, for real. Yeah, all types of bribery. But, I mean, think about it. And that just takes me back to the point you made earlier about, like, you don't know what the kids are going home to. You don't know if that if it's hard enough just getting them to school on a regular day. Yeah. That's why you have the most kids on count day, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of those kids don't come back. Not a lot, but enough. A significant amount. Yeah. En- enough. And what happens? The school gets penalized if the kid doesn't get pushed through. The teacher. The teacher gets penalized. Or being a bad teacher, if if they look and oh you have left back this many kids, but if if the system is jacked up to the point where you really need to leave x amount of kids back, mm-hmm. and then they say oh well you're not doing teaching, oh well all y'all are doing y'all not up to par, so you know people are fudging numbers and doing things to like yeah. save their job. Corruption. So who suffers? Everybody, the community, the kids, the parents. Everyone suffers. The cycle. Mm-hmm. Those kids that got passed through have kids that get passed through and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, I mean, but uh, some of that is probably going to change with this reading law. Unfortunately, they got this new third grade reading law. I feel like we did a show on it, but we, we, should, did. Probably, we should bring it back. We should bring it back. Definitely still, check on it. It's still in effect, but long story short. Wow. Um, Bet. Some there are young people here in Detroit that brought a lawsuit against Betsy DuVos, the national secretary of education mm-hmm. um, appointed by George Bush, because she made the claim that children do not have the right to an education in school, meaning that it's not the school's job or burden to educate the child. So you have, she made that as a legal claim. Kids are currently in a lawsuit fighting her that they do. And so the fact that that even has to be a lawsuit is crazy. But that's currently being fought in the schools right now. There's a whole campaign. And what is school is my, I I mean, I know. It's a business to them. Yeah. You just need to be there so the school can get their check. And that's why they have this whole We Choose campaign. And with the We Choose campaign, um, it's to combat, uh, well, Journey for Justice is an organization that has a campaign called We Choose because Betsy DeVos basically used that law or whatever you want to call it that she put into effect um, to basically steal the money from the government to make sure that charter and private schools could have access to type to um, Title I funding. So basically, how it looks is like this. Let's say, um, okay, you went to school in Ann Arbor, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say there's the so-called good schools in Ann Arbor um, that are in this part of Ann Arbor where a lot of white people live, and then 
there's these other like not as good schools in Ann Arbor where all the black people live. Mm-hmm. And then there's this like less good schools that's let's say in Ypsilanti. Right. And then let's say there's like an exclusive private school that's like right by U of M. All those schools now have access to have the same um, government subsidy or government support that was meant for public schools. That the public schools already aren't getting. That the public schools already aren't getting. So if, let's just say, there's, you know, whatever hundreds of millions that's in the coffers, that money is supposed to go to the public school in Ypsilanti. It's supposed to go to the public school in the black neighborhood in Ann Arbor. And it's supposed to go to the public school in even that, you know, so-called better neighborhood in Ann Arbor. It's definitely not supposed to go to the private school. It's definitely not supposed to go to the charter school. The charter school movement um, gained a lot of traction in the 90s and was able to basically have access to the government funding that was earmarked to fund the public schools. And that's how they started cutting public education off at the knees. Mm -hmm. So with that, you had tax bases as people started to move, right, into different neighborhoods and things, the tax bases that were left in the less affluent neighborhoods or the poor neighborhoods um, where they actually needed more of this aid and more, right, of this subsidy, um, they now have to split. So, like, if the state of Michigan gets X amount of dollars, that's supposed to go for, like, the whole state. Whereas initially, all that funding would have gone to all of your public schools. Your public schools being all the way from, you know, preschool through college. So, like, you know, public community colleges, public university, Mm -hmm. public high school, public middle school, public, you know, um, elementary school. So all over the entire state, right? So whereas through the charter school movement, what they did was had private companies that created these charter schools that went to different Maybe they went to a university or maybe they went to another, you know, organization or company and were able to secure a charter and they create this school that was pretty much a business. And many of those schools were, some of them were good. You know, I'm not going to be like all charter schools are bad. Some of them were decent. But a lot of them just went out of business like a regular business. And it left a lot of kids like not able to graduate, not have a diploma, like really jacked up. Because they're, like, in this school, and then next year the school don't even exist. And they don't tell parents or nothing. They're just done, gone. And that happened for, like, years and years and years. That happened for, like, so many years. And then it just got to a point where um, it got out of control. And um, now it's to a point where they have had, like, a lot of different regulations and things like that. So through the through all the regulations that they have, um, some of that's going on, but some of that has been curbed. And so now the fight is not like, oh, you know, like an anti-charter school movement. The fight is now like 
that with this whole like school choice thing is Betsy DeVos has extended it to private schools. So now the private schools are able to get public schools subsidies. So now that pie is cut into a whole nother sliver to a whole pop to support a whole population of people who supposedly don't need it. But what, what it, they just don't want to pay for it anymore. Well, not so much that what they try to do is fulfill their, di- they're, they're going to try to use it for their diversity. So let's say like you're a poor kid and you want to go to some private school, then they'll be like, Oh, you can, um, you could go here. You know what I'm saying? Like you can go to this school and we're going to pay X amount, but they only have like a voucher for like a certain amount. They're giving people vouchers, right? So they only have a voucher for a certain amount. So you might be able to go to the school for like six months. A discounted price. Oh, wow. You see what I'm saying? And that's how much the voucher's for. Right. So it's, it's like a scam. But they got the money, though, because it's 7000 per kid. It's the yeah. same money. It's the same amount. You see what I'm saying? For the public school. But at a private school, that amount goes like it 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 it, it, it somehow whatever it doesn't equal if if you understand what i'm saying oh my god it's a scam right so anyway this is this is just one of the many things that we're gonna have to uh yeah like the <laughs> like birth control right there. like but oh my god i want to uh, wanna scoot us through because we got to get going here okay, in a second okay. i'm gonna scoot us through on some things so okay I mean, and we could save some stuff for other shows. Oh, 100 yeah, percent. But yeah. what I, you know, there's a direction that we're going in this year because it's 2020. Um, we have the presidential election uh, that's coming up in 2020. Um, and I like the way you say it, Piper. It's not the fact that we're trying to sway our listeners and what to think and how to think. But we want to uh, be sure that you're informed at the least. Right. If you have, yeah. if you, if or there's just have an understanding wanna, yeah. of like, you know, cause I think a lot of times too, I know like for me, um, this is just personally, when I see a news story or if I see policy or if I see something and it looks boring, like I'm, I want to go to sleep. I don't want to read it. I'm disinterested and I don't care. 100%. However, those are usually the things that I need, need to, to read be like, yeah. reading. And so, um, I've just made a decision that like I have to find the time to like when I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so um, for me personally, that is a little bit of my morning time. Um, and so, you know, I have my meditation and my spiritual things I do and all of my little personal stuff. But I told myself at least minimum one hour. I think sometimes I I can go down the rabbit hole, but minimum one hour I spend the time to, um, in addition to reading these different news stories, is like taking an issue and like investigating a little bit because so much gets pulled over us. And just to go back to that apathy thing that we were talking about earlier, like you were Mm -hmm. saying, like the disconnect, it's very easy to have apathy and disconnect. But let's look at something like a war. It's easy for us to disconnect from war here. Agreed. Because no one's bombing, you know what I'm saying, like, where we live. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody's bombing where we live, knock on wood. But these countries where folks, where we say, like, oh, man, you know, they need to calm down. 
what people don't understand is they're living under constant, you know, war with bombs going off all the time, mm-hmm. you know, in complete states of unrest where their governments could flip like at any moment. And even if they do have what you would call like democratic elections, like that leader could still be murdered or people could still be ousted. Like yeah. the thing with our system is we, we still have a system where com- comparatively things are like intact. Although I do believe that the government that's in place now is a, is a, um, a shadow government, oh, but yeah. that's a whole nother, a whole nother episode. Story. But, and- but I think that that's important to understand is like, I think, it's easy as an American to be disconnected just in general, like as a Western person or an American, it's easy to be disconnected because many of those things don't impact us. And I think, yeah, like why do, why do things have to impact us personally for us to then be like, Oh, now I'm going to care. Right. But at the same time, many of those things do impact Mm -hmm. us. They just look different. Agreed. Like our corner stores are so jacked up. As a black woman, you hardly don't even want to go to the corner store by yourself because you're going to be accosted or assaulted. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Trying to buy some Especially gas right now. Or, or a stick of gum Human trafficking or woman. trying to walk down the street and you see a white van, you running. It's true. And they might just be coming to fix the, 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 the light on the I corner. Swear, I don't trust <laughs> any van now. <laughs> no, nah, but um, in um, the episodes to come, Every week we're gonna in our in our own way give you informative information about what's going on locally, and um yeah because we didn't even do your election. basketball report it's and cool. that's what I really want to hear. Well, I'm gonna just say we got 293 days okay before the election, um which is November 3rd, 2020. We have 18 days into the Iowa caucus. We got 179 days into the Democratic National uh, National Convention, and then we got 47 days to Super Tuesday. Oh, and don't forget um, the primary. Yeah. Um, oh, and WNBA. Yeah, 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 I got you, I got we you. We got WNBA. I got you. Okay. So, give me one second. Oh, there was something else. Oh, and in our, in our you music guys reports. The, did you guys, yeah, did you guys watch the, any of the highlights from the um, the debate? You know, I did. Um, I'm just going to say, I did watch that. Pete Buttigieg, how do you say his name? Buttigieg, Buttigieg, Buttigieg. Yeah, I, I watched what you sent us. What I sent you, right? Yes. Okay, tell tell us about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, there's this comedian, and, and I was so happy to see her because I felt like she was like one of the first people that I followed when I made my Twitter. So there's this comedian named Funny Ada, and she was on this political show basically analyzing, um, well, or I guess kind of criticizing the political debate from what debate last night. And uh, this guy or whatever was asked a question about, um, what was it? What was the question that the lady asked him? Well, are you talking about the three-person or the four-person table? Or which one are you talking about? The actual debate where the black lady asked him a question about oh, why yeah, well, black she voters... asked him, yeah, like, um, because where he's from in the South Bend, um, they have been protesting and everything. Mm-hmm. And she asked him, you know, you haven't been up until this point able to attract a black voter. Right. <laughs> or, or, you know, just black voters in general. And so, people, you know, everyone knows that you're that whoever the nominee is is mm-hmm. gonna have to you know attract black voters and so 
what are you going to do to attract more black voters? And, and why is it you think that black voters haven't, you know, been basically attracted to you to, to this point? It was right. that. That's the gist of it. Right. So then I think he said something along the lines of how he's appointed all these black people that will basically go find black people to come vote for him. And <laughs> it was ridiculous. He was like, that's basically what he said in so many words. And um, I kind of started tuning it out because I was like, this guy is crazy. And I think he said <laughs> something else about because um, I heard Ada make a point about him saying that the police thought he wasn't racist or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have to elaborate on that one for so, me. So long story I, short. I was trying to do a lot. <laughs> yeah. So long story short, he um was basically saying like the black people that uh are on his campaign, like know he's great. Mm-hmm. So that's how he knows he's going to be able to get the black vote. Because yeah. he rolls with black people. And then the black <laughs> people that roll with him. And then he was saying how... um. Well, he was making claims that some program that he created had created better relations between community and police. Mm. However, um, on the panel, um, there was a panel about that. And on the panel, one of the um, panelists had done some digging and was like, yeah, the people in his community in South Bend have been protesting because of his lack of interference with, you know, being able to uh, navigate the relationship between the community and the police and how negative it had gotten and how, um, you know, how things had escalated and how he had alienated black people to the point where some, I think it was either earlier this year or last year, some time ago um, when folks were asking him in his community about, what are you going to do for black voters? He basically was like, I don't need y'all. Now he didn't, now the, the, wow, this, this, he, the comment, the comment that he said was basically like, you know, I'm not worried about it. Cause I don't really need y'all like that. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So a couple more things. Um, Deja, tell everybody what you listening to right now. You know, everybody got you to go. Everybody come to you for music. Oh, well, Right now, I am listening to a lot of Larry June. He's like shout out to Larry, my favorite rapper right now. Keep going, Sorry, Deja. Yes, keep going, keep going, Larry. <laughs> um, Larry I, I don't know if Piper would like Larry June. Does he call women the beaver? Every, yeah. I mean, every now and then. But he's, but he's, you like the way he calls you it? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not even about like. When he's talking about women, it's usually in a positive light, although he does call them derogatory names. Like, he does say bitch, but, like, he's usually but talking what about, about a stripper like, that's getting money. Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, nah, Larry, is, Larry is cool. He's a West Coast dude. I mean, I'm trying not Bay to be Larry. judgmental. I mean, I'm doing the best I can not to be judgmental. You know, I'm from the old school. I'm like, nah, Larry cool, though. Larry cool. He he, the one that's, like, in the middle. He don't, like, be, that's not his, that's not his motion. His motion is the same notion as, like, Nipsey. So he okay. like right there like yeah get he, money yeah yeah get get money take care of my son uh he talk about meditation in his own hood way like he's talking about apple. making himself smoothies <laughs> like he got songs called like smoothies at midnight like, okay okay he he fresh I like, roll with that his dad like he loved old school cars so he always talking about like the nineties influences like mm-hmm. he he he's really good at painting a picture of the nineties from his perspective of being like a a millennial let's say mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. yeah I like that yeah good little. Larry, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'm also mm-hmm. listening to West Side Gun. Um, also misogynistic, uh, but he's like he's insane. Is that that Very one? Talented. So is that the one guy that I was like, yeah, heavy dosing off of? You got we gotta yes. play, I gotta pay Piper him. Like he's <laughs> what's his name again? Shout him out again. West Side Gun. He's actually gonna be here. Um. Oh, I believe in February. I forgot the date, actually. But Let's find it real quick, because he's super, go. like, he's super dope, Piper. Like, is he, is he, he from he Harlem? Or, is he from Harlem or Brooklyn? Where is he from? I don't know. I'm so sick of misogyny. It's, I know. I don't know, Piper. So. Well, there's Caviar. He is from um, Louisiana, as well as Los Angeles, I believe. Okay. Mm-hmm. He works with Iman Omari a lot. Um, I oh, I love Iman Omari, too. Yeah, so Cavalier is really good. He's not misogynistic. You'll love him. He talks about peace. He's he's great. He got bars. Okay. I know. I know I'm corny. I'm no, just you're not. not. Pipe, no, 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 Piper, you set the bar for real. Like, So, no, it's not even that. It's just, you know. There's standards. Yeah. Okay. Um, Who you listening to, Brittany? Um, who am I listening to? Let me look who I'm listening to. Uh, I've been listening to old Mick Jenkins. I haven't gotten to the um, new album, but mm-hmm. like when an artist is about to come out with an album, mm-hmm. like I like go back and listen to their old stuff. So shout out Mick Jenkins from Chicago. Um, I want to shout out a couple SoundCloud artists right quick. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Uh, Jack Boys by Travis Scott was actually interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, uh, some misogyny, but the, it's the um, kind of misogyny you prefer. Yeah, like, no, it's, it's, I want to shout out uh, Cleo Soul. Mm-hmm. She is like babe. amazing. Like no misogyny. Have you heard of Ego Not LMA? Pardon me, Ego LMA. I yeah. think I've seen her name, but I, like I, I can't off the top of my head. I can't like associate. She, a song. What was the name of that song she had? Was it 2017? When was what was her hit? I forgot. Um, oh, are you talking about LMA? The uh-huh. that's no, not no, you talking no, about no. somebody. No, else. Oh. But, she's a, like a. She's also from the UK, but she's um she's dark skin. She seems more like neo soul. Yeah. Oh, um, I don't know that LMA. She's great. I think I know you're talking about though, Deja. And then there was one other artist that I wanted to shout out that I'm listening to. Um, her name is like Chanel. Um, I'm really bad with names, but I'm trying to get better because of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sh- uh, Chandler Joy, like she's oh, really yeah. dope. Okay, like I really am feeling her. No um, misogyny. N- no, no th- none of the women I just mentioned. Are, like, of course, these women are like uplifting themselves and other women. Yes. Okay, I, I could roll with that. Yeah. So, um, speaking so you, of which, you could put some of that on the show. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna drop that on the show for sure. Like so okay. that they can get a taste. But Deja and I'll get together and come up with the songs for the next couple weeks. For today too, right? Yeah, I got yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to shout out before we get uh going, I want to shout out Pam Wise. Oh yeah, I've seen like she's been shout doing so Pam. much. Like you know, shout out to uh women in hip hop. Yeah. Um, but Pam Wise, like as I think she performed at um uh the Namdi. Can you pronounce it? Anamdi. Anamdi. She was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anamdi Gallery last Friday, mm-hmm. last Saturday. Excuse me, last Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just seen her name popping up more and more. Yeah. So it's really, it's really yeah. good to see that Detroit, through all this change, no matter how we perceive it, that some of the legends that lay here are starting to, not starting, but I mean, for being my generation, yes, being a, yes, mm-hmm. please. So shout out to Pam Wise. She does a lot of work with Piper. Shout out to Pam. So you know, I, I, I'm yeah. I was very I'm very happy to see like within the last two or three months to see her just keep popping Star up. Skyrocket. That's Man, what's up. That's, that's what's up. Um, I'm trying to see uh what else. 
What else? What else? The WNBA. So before we go, I got to talk about this. So mm-hmm. um, the WNBA started in like 96. Mm-hmm. Um, just in brief, the stereotype of the WNBA is one that uh, women don't support their own sport. Um, I've been a victim of that. I love basketball. and But a lot of my inspiration has come from the NBA, unfortunately. Um, but the WNBA started off as a league that was embraced just because there's so many women that play collegiate basketball and had mm-hmm. to go overseas. Yeah. But the biggest stereotype about the WNBA is their salaries mm-hmm. and um, their benefits. Mm-hmm. Many of them have ju- dual jobs. Yeah. You know, that half the year they're here. Mm-hmm. For three months they play here, and mm-hmm. then the other half or nine months they're overseas or they're using their college degrees to supplement for their mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So uh, I would say, like, uh, I don't know, maybe three or four days ago, they worked out a new collective bargaining for them, Mm. uh, which is huge, unheard of, just because the ticket sales are still not, you know, it's not like the salaries, the advertisements, the the fan base is there to support these women. Mm. So the fact that the union that they've created um, was able to come up with some things, it's still not great, but it's a move. Mm -hmm. Um, So the top-tier players... Are gonna be. I just got a hundred thousand dollar pay increase. Oh wow! Um, the benefits for women who are um having children. I can't think of the word right now, but um, like, their benefits just got increased. Um, wow! It so a lot of things. The health benefits went up. Um, so I just want to shout out to whoever was involved with those deals. Yeah. Um, just because you know, again, a woman should not have to. You know, with these NBA players, the the I think like the low the the lowest NBA players paid like between two hundred thousand and a million dollars. Like, when which, does the season start? For the, the season w, starts WNBA. It starts in June. Okay, so, so we can summer. start promoting that. Yeah, for hundred percent. Like, I mean, now how long is their season? It's only for three months. It lasts for the the, the summer. The summer. Yeah. Okay. And then like in the fall is like when the championship game is. Unfortunately, those who don't watch women basketball like. The shock probably revolutionized the WNBA. The, the Detroit yeah, Shock. When did. they when the Detroit Shock first came out, like I was all about Detroit Shock. They were, and then <laughs> what happened? Who sold like, them? Why did they leave? I, have, I can't tell you. Like they were one of the most Leslie, profitable teams. Yeah, Lisa Leslie. Leslie, yeah, Lisa Leslie. That's the lake. That's the spark. Yeah, she was on the sparks, but it was oh, that time okay. period. It was yeah, that yeah, time yeah. frame for hundred mm-hmm. percent. Like we we were out cold. Like the year that the, they were amazing, right? Yeah, the year that the Pistons won the championship. Um, they won a championship yeah. and they won a year after, like, yeah. and then they got sold to Tulsa. So I'm not a hundred percent sure what happened there as far as like the, you know, maybe it just still wasn't a good investment, even though it was like probably a top tier yeah. out of making the most, one of the most profitable, mm-hmm. um, organizations. It probably still wasn't as profitable as they needed to be. So they sold it off. Damn. That's the only thing that I would I love assumed. for Detroit to have a WNBA team. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I like to see that these, uh, uh, the biggest thing is the pay, like. You know, these yeah. women can't even live normal lives. Like, as you know far how many as their teams family there goes, are? there's 12 teams. Okay. There's 12 teams. So. And what is, what is their games like? Is it a weekly game? They Yeah, they play. It's just like the NBA. They play. Um, I don't, they, of course, they don't have 82 games, but they play throughout the courses of the week, like uh, Lakers, Pistons, those type of teams. They play two, between two and four times a week, depending okay. on where they're at in the season. Okay. Um, Because we're pressed for time, I'll get into the Pistons. I went to the game Monday night. Shout out to the Pistons. How'd they do? I saw they're like number uh, 11. 
Yeah, they're number they're 11. They're, like, pretty terrible. Yeah, they're pretty bad right now. They're trying to get rid of Andrew Drummond. I'm not a real big fan of him, but shout-out to Andrew Drummond. Yeah, and shout-out out. to Jalen Rose, even though I'm not a fan of charter schools. But I do like the fact that Jalen on national TV shout out, shouts out the city consistently. Mm-hmm. I do like the fact that he is impressed by people who are giving back to the community. So he shouted Andre Drummond out by being someone who's not from here but who gives back to the city. So shout out to mm-hmm. you, Andre Drummond, yeah. especially if you end up leaving in the next few months or to the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for everything you've done for the city. Wait till after the... They may. They may. Like, that don't even make no but sense. All-Star Weekend, shout out to Chicago. I love Chicago. It's like a you know, like second home. They're really well. Yeah, Chicago. Well, sh- not the Bulls, but the, the city Chicago in mm-hmm. a sense that the All-Star Weekend is going to be there. But, I mean, yeah. the Bulls are doing pretty the good. The Bulls are doing all right. They're doing okay. I'm not. They're not number one. But no, they, the Bulls. Let's look where the aren't Bulls they are top at. five? I'm about to tell you uh, right now. The Bulls. They not. Actually, actually, what? The, I, I I misspoke. The Pistons are in the ninth seat right now. Oh, they are. They and, moved up, and they're um they're a game behind Brooklyn. But that's not much to say because the um the league is the Eastern Conference is always weak. Mm-hmm. But um. The Bulls are number eleven right now. Really? Yeah. They dropped. Yeah, they dropped. But it's cool though. Like it, it's it's all in the same vicinity. They're all within a one one or two game spread of each mm. other. So like the trade, I don't plan. I don't. I don't proceed and really make it into the playoffs unless Blake is is healed. But he may have a, a he may be out for the rest of the season. Mm. Weak knees. Um. But shout out to the Pistons. Shout out to Derrick Rose. Yeah. Shout talking out about to Chicago. The Pistons. Like Derrick Rose, man. I came front the teams I watch would be the Pistons and the Knicks for obvious reasons. Yeah, and um there was a couple other things that I wanted to say to you. Oh, the coaches, the women, the black women coaches. The, the, uh, you want to talk about that another women, show? Yeah, we'll do that another show. We'll do that next week. Okay. Cuz I want to get into that a little bit cuz that's that that's pretty epic. You got a yeah. lot of women referees like 5 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. If you saw a woman referee, she was getting cursed out being told like you're a woman on the court. Like mm. why are you like if it was a bad call like now it's maybe about five or six women referees. Like, it's not uncommon. Oh, wow. So now we're moving to, into women actually coaching in the NBA. So okay. I want to take the time next week. We can get into that next week. But, um, I, I mean, really, that's it. I really wanted to get into more stuff, but we kind of pressed for time, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but I think this was a good show because we're going to be breaking everything down into segments. Mm-hmm. We have Deja here. She's going to add another perspective. She's good with music. I'm very excited. I'm humbled by her giving us her time. We gotta figure out which show we're gonna talk about the um the uh Oscars. Yes, we gotta talk about the we gotta talk about the Oscars. Next week we gotta talk about the Oscars. We gotta yeah. talk about Bad Boy Three. We gotta talk about Watchmen. Cause they brought cause you see they brought back that hashtag Oscars so white again. They I mean, had to I just wonder, like man. We'll get into it. I got all my notes on the Oscars. Yeah, we, we definitely. Next week, next week we're going to get more full throttle. Shout out to Jaira. We're going to be coming with clips. We're going to be coming with a lot of different things. We're going to mm-hmm. have a YouTube presence. We got a gang of guests I know we're going to have this year, but just based on what we're, you know, what our highlights are with the 2020 election and yeah. hip hop. I already got requests for guests. Let's do it. Yeah, actually, um, the Hip Hop Caucus team wants to come back. And talk should. about um election. They want to talk about election stuff. Yeah, let's do it. So that'll be dope. So we just get a date from them. Yeah. Deja, you got some closing remarks since we got to get out of here? Um, Just that I am excited to talk about everything with you guys. Thank you so much mm-hmm. again for having me on this show. And I'm so looking forward to interviewing everyone with you guys mm-hmm. and just getting it all out there. I'm excited to be here. Cool. Pipe. Brittany, what you got? I'm good. I'm excited as well. Um, we got 
uh, Pipe's birthday coming up soon. That makes you a what? Uh, Aquarius. Ooh. And uh, so that means we're going to be at Willis Show Bar next Tuesday for Pipe. No, no, the, the one after. The one after next Tuesday. Yeah. That's right. So that's the 28th, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My birthday is the 27th, but. And then um, it's Food Detroit is going to be at. Uh, yeah, we're having Britney's catering. <laughs> And then, Vegan catering. Shout out to Sanaa. And then we're going to be uh Willis uh, January 23rd, which is next Thursday. Then we'll be at uh, Willis January 28th. And then we're going to do a reggae party on the 31st. That's going to be at y'all, Trumbull at Plex. Hey, y'all getting so, out here in these streets. Hyper Carter. Let's so, support black businesses. Let's 2020, yeah, everybody. Right? Um, hey. Shout out to Black Cocoa Bakes. Um, that's huge. That's Bree. Shout out Bree. Um, yeah, we rolling. All right. Well, um, so I, too, am very honored to have you, Miss Deja. I think you bring a brightness and uh, you bring the sunshine, chocolate sunshine. (laughs) And uh, thank you, Brittany, for bringing Deja on board. Shout out, Sanaa. Okay, shout out, Sanaa. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for coming. And like I said, bringing all your brilliance and just, you know, um, your energy. It's just wonderful having you here. So I'm very honored. And you too, Brittany. I'm very honored to have you here. I'm very proud of you of course, for right. coming up with our um, our organizational plan. And um, yeah, I feel really, really good like having both of y'all here. So um, I'm, I feel like a proud mama. <laughs> oh, Maybe like a proud auntie. That's better. Okay. Because <laughs> Brittany can't stand when I call myself her grandma or mama. Like what? But um, I'll be I'll be your auntie, big sister. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to 2020. Um, I feel really, really good about both of you. I feel really honored to have both of you um, be a part of this. And yeah, I hope that I can, you know, be any sort of support or inspiration to both of you. Of course. Um, and yeah, this is going to be exciting. So yeah. So I want the listeners to know that as we move forward, uh, we'll be bringing you some wonderful topics and we'll be looking forward to you helping us get our Patreon and our donation uh, aspect of this program kicked off. We're going to start getting that into high gear pretty soon. Um, Shouts out to Kari Frazier um, for creating Detroit is Different and just building this podcast studio. It's really, really a wonderful space. Shouts out to all the listeners. Shouts out to people that's been listening to us from the beginning. Um, like I said, we also want to put in a component to where we could get some of your feedback. Soon we will be up on YouTube because we know that there's so many people that are on YouTube that we're <laughs> not even reaching yet. Um, yeah, so this is very exciting. So you want to check out the show and, you know, tell all your friends to check out the show. Let them know how cool you are that you get all of this awesome information. And like I said, we're going to be bringing you even more information. So you want to go to the website, DetroitIsDifferent.net, which is where you can listen to this show as well as all of the other shows that are on there. Or you can also go to DetroitIsDifferent.com, and that is where the blog is. You can check us out on social media, Twitter, Instagram, you know, Facebook, that's where you'll find all of the Detroit is different. And you'll also find me, Piper Carter, on there as well. You know, hit me up. Um, send me some, you know, 
cool tidbits that you want to uh, want us to talk about on the show. Let us know. Give us feedback on the show. And, yeah, we appreciate you. So you have a great week and a happy new year. Peace. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. Set and scribe the time. Set and scribe the time. Set and scribe the time.